Welcome to the Two Acre Homestead. Come along with us on our journey from a small, suburban homestead lifestyle to our new lifestyle homesteading in the rural countryside of Southern Arizona. We'll share with you our tips, tricks, successes, and failures from both our past suburban lifestyle to our new rural lifestyle, all all on on the the Two Acre Acre Homestead. Well, welcome back, everybody. I am super excited to have you guys with us today. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Heather Stone from Sage and Stone Homestead. Now, Heather is is a fantastic homesteader. She does it all. Um, She keeps goats, chickens, pigs, quail, rabbits. Did I lose anything else? Oh, gardening. (laughs) That's a huge one that you do. That's a big one. That's a big one. Yeah, for, for a lot of the year, but really the off season is longer and that that is when we raise our meat most yeah. of the time. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, Heather, welcome to the Two Acre Homestead. We are super excited to have you on Thank today. you for having me. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about yourself that I haven't said. Any spoiler alerts? <laughs> no, well, we, my husband Levi and I and our four kids live on almost 10 acres in southwestern Kentucky. And as you said, we raise a ton of animals. We do a lot of food growing here. We grow about 80% of what we need as far as nutrition. We still go to the grocery store. Yes, nice. but there are some comforts that we love. You and I talked about coffee off air a little mm. bit, but <laughs> yeah, so, but we we really enjoy what we do here. And one of the main things that we do as well is help encourage people to do the same, to go outside of their comfort zone and really like take life by the, by the horns as it were. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you can do this. Anybody can do it. Yeah. And that's the Anyone. thing people, a lot of women too, don't realize that they can do things you know, by themselves. I do a lot on here. My husband works uh, full-time away from the farm. So a lot of the farm duties are mine and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you can just day by day, step-by-step. Exactly. I love that. Step-by-step, hour-by-hour, step-by-step. You can do it. If our grandmothers and the mothers before them, if they could do it and they had less technology than we do, we can do it today. Absolutely. Well, you know, on today's episode, we are talking all, or actually this whole season, we're talking about raising your own meat. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people get just super intimidated by raising animals. And whether it's because they get intimidated because how do you, the how intimidates Mm -hmm. them or the, what what do I do with this particular animal? So we have you on today. We're talking about raising goats for meat. Yes. And so tell us a little bit about your herd. You've got a nice size herd there on your home. Thank you. There's a lot of goats on our farm right now. I think it's around 30. And the reason I don't know exactly is some are born and then some are sold and some are culled. So, but it, we're hovering right around 30 right now, which is way more than I usually like to go into winter with. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but the herd is mostly comprised of dairy breed goats. We have a lot of registered animals and we did that so we could, you know, try to stay away from disease. Now, just because a goat is registered does not automatically mean that it's disease free, but that's really important when you're considering, you know, drinking raw milk out of that animal and consuming their flesh. Um, coming up with disease free animals is how we're going to be eating things that are better than what you can buy at the grocery store. Wow, that is really yeah. enlightening. I don't think I've ever heard anybody explain that. It's super important. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Can can you delve into that just a little bit more? How do how does one go about finding such animal? An animal that's well, a little bit more. Well, the first thing you're going to want to do, Shora, I'm sorry for interrupting you. No, the go first ahead. thing you're going to want to do is is ask questions. I would never be afraid to ask questions of any breeder. And when you ask for a disease-free animal, let's say you go to a dairy breeder and say, hey, you know, what are your disease records? They may say, oh, we're clean. Um, you want to make sure that you get those records with the date in hand. You want the animals to have been tested within the last year so that you know that you're bringing home something that's not going to bring disease onto your farm and potentially be a headache in the long run. Because that's the that's the worst is to is to bring something onto your land that's not going to benefit it that's going to put a wrench in the whole thing and there's nothing more discouraging than trying to work out of something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That kind of spoils the whole point and purpose of a person it wanting does. to bring them onto onto property. What mm -hmm. type of diseases would you say that um, are more, how do I want to put this, more important than others? Well, there are, it's called a full disease panel when you get disease testing done. It's, there's a disease called CL, I believe it's pronounced Cassius lymphadenitis. There's CAE, which is something else. And then there's Yonis. And those are the three main ones that are tested for. And some meat breeds are kind of heavy on the disease um, on diseases than others. I know boar goats sometimes can carry more heavy disease loads in herds than others. And so it's definitely something to be watching out for um, and being being picky about, especially when it comes to breeders. You want the best quality that you can afford to bring home. Um, and a, an unregistered but disease-tested animal always has more value than a registered animal with an unknown disease history. Excellent. So that's that's something good for the listeners to to really, you know, jot down, keep in mind if you're getting into goats, whether you want to go the route of dairy or whether you want to go the route of raising them for meat or for both. That's something that I think all goat owners need to really be aware of because you get yes. so excited to want to bring this animal on property. Oh, I'm going to get a goat and you may want to bring that back just a little bit and be a little yeah. bit more cautious. Yeah. As far as meat goes, CL is probably the more important disease to, to worry about because it can be passed on to humans and it is present in, in the meat, like little pockets of disease can be in the meat. So do your homework. Thank Absolutely. you. No Thank problem. you. <laughs> Thank you for telling us. Yeah. So on your homestead, um, like I said, you I know you raise goats for dairy, yes. but you also raise goats for meat purposes as well. Absolutely. So 
Um, and telling us a little bit about your herd, what type of goats do you have First, for starters? Yeah, we've got um, La Mancha dairy goats. We have got Nigerian dwarves. And when you combine the two, which we have done, we have mini La Manchas. Yes. So we've got the whole spectrum of La Mancha uh, plus some Nigerian dwarves. And then I do have a couple like nondescript, I don't know what they are, um, dairy breeds. I think they're alpine. Um but mostly dairy breeds, some of them bigger bodied. Um, Some goats, I keep their kids back for meat specifically because I know their growth rate is a little bit faster. So I don't have to take them through winter in order to get them to a good size. So I like that. Nice. So Mm -hmm. this particular episode, we are talking about raising goats for meat. Yeah. Um, so, and that's what we really wanted to pick your brain about is raising, raising a herd for meat purposes. So mm-hmm. tell us, Heather, a little bit more about your, like, what type of goats do you have on your homestead? You've yeah, got, we have, go ahead. We have dairy goats for the most part. Uh, we have La Mancha goats, we have Nigerian dwarves, and we have the combination of the two, which is a mini La Mancha. I've got some other goats that are running around the farm, but mostly what we're focusing on is our La Mancha and mini La Mancha program. We have them mostly for dairy, but when you have dairy animals, you have to have babies in order to get milk. And the larger breeds like the La Mancha are better for meat. So they can grow to a bigger size during the active growing season of our pasture. And we don't have to grow them out through winter before butchering. Wow. And what was your purpose in getting the La Mancha because of the dual purpose of that particular animal or? That was absolutely one reason. There's actually, there's a bunch of reasons to love La Mancha goats, but their ability to be be used as a meat animal is definitely up there. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. That's really interesting. Okay. And so with the, with your, your herd, what are the, cause I know you raise them for dairy purposes as well, but mm-hmm. what are your criteria for, you know, let's say you've got it right now. I know you're going through kidding season or just had it and you just um, had our fall kidding season. Yes. Right. So what's your criteria when you're looking at your herd and you're saying that that particular one's going to be meat that, you know, what are what's the criteria for you when you're raising your your meat goats? For me, it's uh, saleability. Can I sell this animal? Um, most of the time, our our area doesn't really want those earless goats. It kind of freaks them out. We have a lot of people around us that really like the cutesy goats and like them for pets and house pets. And so our Nigerian dwarves are a lot easier to sell as pets, but the Labanchas are not as easy to sell. So there's, this sounds kind of basic, um, but that's absolutely one reason that we would be keeping certain animals back for meat. Um, but another reason is the Labanchas just grow a lot faster. So usually those bucklings are really not easy to sell. And so pretty much if a La Mancha or mini La Mancha buckling is born that I can't use, or I don't have somebody already waiting like for a waiting list for a buckling, they're pretty much automatically put in the meat program. Wow. And how, how much meat based on the size of your herd, how much meat do you seem to produce? Well, each goat 
is processed, each goat is processed around 50 to 80 pounds, and we can expect about a 25 to 30% return on them. So they have, they're a ruminant and a ruminant has a lot of gut. So there's a lot of excess as far as that goes. Um, But so we have, I have only processed three so far this season, and it was over 50 pounds of meat. And two of those were pretty small. Wow. So, yeah, we've got we've got more growing out a little bit further, but mm-hmm. that's what we've gotten this this season so far. It's still ongoing. But that's pretty good considering the size mm-hmm. of goats. That's that's really good considering their size. Yeah, it's really not bad, um, especially when the alternative is just to have something that's going to be consuming, you know, more grain and more hay. Um, mm-hmm. That's really the option that we have coming into winter time is really to cull down so that the entire operation doesn't end up costing more than it really needs to. On the subject of cost, is there a cost barrier for you when it comes to the goats? Yeah. Um, so most of the year, our dairy goats and, you know, the, the meat goats, they will, they grow out on pasture. And so we have, like I said, about 10 acres. There's around six of that that's fenced in for the goats. And as if I can get them to grow out by drinking their mother's milk and eating pasture, that's what I like. That's essentially free. Um, mm-hmm. If I have to start taking them into winter, I really need to try to not feed them more than they're going to be worth as far as value for me in the freezer. So we like, if we're going to sell a goat, my minimum that I like to receive as far as payment is $150. Um, Otherwise their meat has much more value to me in the freezer. If I can't, if I can't get $150, I'd rather put them in the freezer because they, they can feed us and offset our grocery budget in that way. Right. And so here's a question for you. I know your husband, like mine, um, they're hunters and, yeah. you know, venison is fabulous. It's delicious. <laughs> it is delicious meat. If you've not tried it, please try it. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. But, um, and it's, it's a perfect beef substitute. Um, yeah. But do you use your goat meat for substitution of beef? Yes, I would argue that goat is a better substitute than venison for beef, mostly because the venison fat has a little, it's a strange texture. It kind of coats the inside of your mouth and goat fat. Yes, goat fat is a lot more similar to cow's tallow. Um, Very, very similar. So you don't have to be super picky about trimming off the fat. Um, We actually like to render it down and make different things like salves. And um, I made tallow candles recently, which was really awesome. We can use it to make soaps. So the fat is really, I think, where the goats um, are a level above venison and in a replacement for beef. We don't buy beef at this store. Wow, that is mm-hmm. that is really interesting. And so <laughs> that's really interesting to hear that, especially from my perspective, because I just got done rendering down a bunch of tallow yesterday. <laughs> the season. It, it is the season. Tis the season for tallow. <laughs> but so it's, is it a really good cooking fat? I think so. Um, you're going to be able to tell very slightly that it is of goat. Um, and it's really hard to describe. 
Um, you know how goat, I don't know if you've ever had goat's milk from the grocery store. Have you, have you had goat's milk before? I am an advocate of never buying goat milk from the store. Go okay. to a farm. We have our own goats. So I just you go have out. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah. So we just go out to the backyard. But yes, I advocate don't ever buy goat's milk from the store. But yes, I yeah. have had it. Yeah. Sometimes it's a little bit goaty. It's not like that. Um, it's But you, as I mentioned, you can tell the difference between goat's milk and cow's milk when you drink it. You're going to be able to mm-hmm. tell that it's a goat versus a cow in fat, but it's not a bad thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the meat. So (laughs) I'm laughing because I know there are some people who are going to say, I can't goat goat meat. is just absolutely terrible. I find that the same people who say that about goat meat also have the same impression about goat's milk from the store. This is why I advocate don't 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 get goat's milk from the store. Yeah, goat's milk from the store and goat cheese from the store can be very, very uh, overpowering. And I think that's because mm-hmm. they may run their bucks with their does. And some of that buck stink really can rub off in the dairy. And so I don't know how those operations are run, but we don't have, you know, real super goaty tasting milk. Our meat does not taste goaty tasting. And I've had a couple people tell me who have raised dairy goats for me in the past that they much prefer dairy breed meat versus meat breed meat as far as flavor goes. And I'm not exactly sure what goes into that, but I've heard the same too said for cattle that sometimes the Holstein can taste better than, you know, the, the meat breed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know what, I don't know why that is. But people say it. I have not I've not eaten meat specific breed goat meat before to be able to verify. I know I have and I, I've eaten Kiko. I, yeah, from from Kiko's and it is very goaty. Um, the meat you had was goaty. It's it's I've had it every which way you can and every. For many years and it is. When you have it from a meat goat, it is definitely a strong overpowering. There's not enough oh. spices to remove that that taste. But well, that's very interesting because that has not been our experience at all. I was just getting ready to say I have had dairy goat milk or milk dairy goat meat, and mm-hmm. there is a significant difference between the two of them. They do. They do taste absolutely different. I, I'm wondering if it's, I wonder if it's the milk aspect of it. Like if you can tolerate the milk from a dairy goat and mm-hmm. especially when you get it fresh, then yes. that still would translate through the meat as well. Possibly. There's got to be something to it. There's got to be something with their ability to put lots of butter fat in the pail. Maybe there's something that permeates the meat as well in their bodies. I am not entirely sure, but that's definitely really cool to hear you say that as well. Yeah, there's, there's, a, yeah, there's a, I've, I've had it. Yeah. My family is Creole um, and uh-huh. that goat is very much consumed, but um, yeah, no, we, yeah, it, it, when it's Kiko, you can definitely taste it. It's do you happen to know if the goat that you ate was from a castrated or an intact animal? 
No, I don't know the details. Okay, because that can also make a very big difference. I was just speaking to our butcher, and he said that if an animal, especially a goat, is not castrated one month per year prior to processing, that you're going to taste a much stronger flavor in their meat. And it's because of the hormones. That would make sense. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot that kind of goes into the flavor of milk and meat, but I Mm -hmm. think a castrated animal is going to be a better flavor, a less strong flavor, I guess I'll say, because I do know people that like the super goaty meat. I do too. (laughs) (laughs) They can have my portion. (laughs) But wow, that's, that's really interesting. Question, do you castrate your goats, by the way? Yes. Yes, we do. Yes, especially when we know that we're going to be consuming them for meat from the get go. I like to castrate them as soon as possible, which is around eight weeks of age. Um, But we have castrated adult goats before. Um, And like I like I mentioned, you want to do it about one month per year of age before processing. So if I have a two-year-old goat that I'd like to either take to the processor or process here, I need to castrate him two months before that day in order to improve the flavor of the meat or, or lessen the goatiness of it. That is really interesting. And and do you cast, or I know you castrate them yourself, but do you process them yourself or do you send them over to a processor? We have done both. Um, the only reason that we have taken a goat off of farm before is when we've wanted something extra out of them that we can't do here. So we have a dairy goat that by the time this airs, he will have been processed and we are actually going to have him uh, taken to a taxidermist to become mounted. And we cannot prepare the hide like our butcher can um, in order to prepare that for the taxidermist. So we are going to be bringing him into the processor for that purpose, but otherwise we can do a lot of that here. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I, I love the fact that you are not only you're processing, you're not only raising your own meat, but you're processing it there. Yeah. Um, you know, there are times, of course, that you're going to want to take it to be processed, you know, s- separate off farm. How did you, how long have you been doing this and how did you get into doing this? I guess I should have <laughs> asked you that question first. <laughs> well, so it was in, it was in 2020 before anything hit the fan with COVID that mm-hmm. we, we looked into getting our first dairy goats. And it was after, it was after um, the lockdowns that we got our first set of dairy goats. And really dairy was the main purpose, but you very quickly start to see a need um, for something else to, how do I want to word this? Sorry. You very quickly see that if you don't come up with a way to use the excess babies that happen just as a result of having a dairy that you can get sort of bogged down and um, the operation can cease or come to a halt. And there's really an amazing purpose for an unwanted dairy goat in the freezer. And, you know, you can drink mama's milk and then you can turn around and put the babies in the freezer and dairy goats very easily can pay for themselves when you can, when you use them well like that. 
Stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you looking to build a homestead from the ground up? Or maybe you're looking to build an off-grid dream home, a vacation home, or maybe just a piece of land to call your own. Visit yourcheapland.com to buy rural land in the wide open spaces of southwestern United States. When you visit yourcheapland.com, they're here to help you. And with their help, you can do this. You can take your dream of owning land and make it a reality. Most down payments are only $294, including the document fee. Remember, everyone qualifies for financing at yourcheapland.com. Head on over to yourcheapland.com and start making those dreams come true. And now, back to our podcast. Yeah, that it so it really creates what we like to call around here a closed loop system because, yes, it does. yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. it's a, it's an entire little system that's working on your property that needs no outside inputs in general, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if you've got the land to pasture them on. We we do, um, we do buy in hay because mm-hmm. our our quality of grass isn't super amazing, but yes, it's a very easy, um. Not necessarily easy per se, but it's a very um, lovely system to be able to see in practice mm-hmm. that supports itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so another question for you. How did your first time, tell us a little bit about the first time you processed your own goats. You have to be able to see the end goal and be able to execute that well. And I mean, if if dispatch is the problem, a butcher is is the right answer versus not um, ever trying goat meat because you're scared or processing at home because you're scared. I would say that a butcher can be a very nice in between while you're trying to figure it out yourself at home. Yeah, it yeah. seems it seems to me if I could just ask you this question. Because I do know you keep other animals. And mm-hmm. um, I, I've tried somebody just recently, I was talking to somebody and I was telling them how I, on our homestead, we much prefer processing rabbits, anything with fur. <laughs> that's, that's generally our, mm-hmm. our, our attitude. Anything with fur is a lot easier to process than anything with feathers. Um, yes. <laughs> we're kind of, we kind of lean more towards that camp than, than the other side, but, um, and it's just because it's easier to process, but mm-hmm. um, processing the little gamey things like your rabbits, for example, um, processing, learning how to process them helps you learn how to process the, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is even though they're small, they're, fu- they're furry. And so that kind of yeah. helps you process something that's a little bit bigger. Your next step would be a pig, um, yeah. which they're not as intimidate. Actually, 
Yeah, I think they are actually. Pigs are a little intimidating. (laughs) Yeah, they are. I I, I had to take that back. Sorry. (laughs) Pigs are a little bit more intimidating, but they're just more, it's more work, more physical. My experience is it's more physical. They're heavier. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Then, then, um, but I've not processed my own goats. So, um, I'm good. We're going to lean into you on this experience. So comparing like going from a, a rabbit to a pig, to a goat, even though a goat is smaller, depending on your pig size, what you're, what you're uh, raising. But um, what is your experience? Like, do you feel like it's better to have that experience in the background of raising those kind of animals and then progressively working your way up? Or is it better just to go all in? And, you know, for those listeners who are thinking, I think I want to get goats and I want to get them for dairy, but I think I want to do what Heather's doing too and raise them also for meat. Should you just go all in or should you have something, some experience in the background? I don't think you necessarily need any, any butchering experience in order to do it yourself. A goat is a, just a big rabbit as far as, as processing. Uh, is concerned. That's what we tell people. Um, And sometimes I feel like the larger animals may be easier to process because you can really see what you're doing, especially men with their larger hands and things. You can really tell what's going on. You can see, you know, the different muscle structures and the different bones and and where they connect and how, how things come apart. It's a little bit, honestly, it's a little bit easier with a larger animal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty good. Well, thank you so much, Heather. There's one other one other question I do want to ask you, um, sure. and that is for those who have goats, and I know people who are probably going to message me and say, "Could you have asked this question?" So I'm asking for them. Um, those who already have goats, let's say there's, let's say there are female goats that are in your herd Mm -hmm. that you're not for whatever reason you're not going to breed anymore or so you're just kind of left in limbo what do i do with this with this goat well it it does depend what would i encourage them to do well i wouldn't i wouldn't want anybody to process an animal that that they're going to regret processing. We definitely have animals and goats on our farm that will be retiring here um, just because we're attached to them. But I did recently process one of my dairy does that I tried to sell. Um, She wouldn't sell. And I have the only reason that I was calling her out of my program is because she's a little bit skittish. And um, I do have bigger girls that produce more milk that are better mothers that are better structured. And so we put her in the freezer. Um, she was a three-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, I, I did try to sell her, but I wasn't willing to sell her below a certain threshold. So as I mentioned, they have value to me in the freezer and uh, I didn't want to sell her for, for less than I asked. So sometimes you encounter that. Um, you try to sell an animal, you want them to go to a good home it does not always happen mm-hmm. and i want to make i want people to understand that the freezer really is an option it doesn't mean that you know you're a bad person or whatever um it's it's honoring and valuing the animal just just in a different way right yeah and 
another question. I said, I know that was the last question, but another no, question. That's fine. Where would you direct a person to go to, to learn how to butcher their own goats? How did, how did so, you learn? Where, where how can did they we go? Learn? And where, and where well, can the listener go to? Absolutely. So when we were processing our first deer and goats, um, we looked at, there's a YouTube channel called the Scott Ray Project, um, R-E-A, Scott Ray Project. He has a lot of videos breaking down how to not only butcher the goat, but how to break down the entire goat into their individual parts and pieces so that you can cook it up. Um, Scott Ray Project and Stephen Ranella. Um, and the bearded butchers. Those are all very great resources. We don't have any kind of butchering content, not anything very specific to learn from on our channel, but those are the resources that we used and it works really well. And off, off side shoot question here, is that something that the listener can expect to learn from, from you in the future? How to butcher? Possibly, possibly. YouTube has been a little bit hit or miss in what they are allowing on their platform. I have entertained the idea of maybe doing something off of the platform that might be behind a paywall. I just want to be able to really make sure that I'm delivering something quality before I go ahead and do that. So we've been, um, we've just, like I said, processed three goats here this season. It was probably good that we didn't try to record this last little bit, just because it had been a whole year. So there were things that we were trying to remember what was best and, and where to cut and what to do. But in the future, maybe this season, if not this season, uh, next meat season, we might have something available. No well, promises, <laughs> but it's, it, it's in my thinker. That's super exciting. That that's super exciting if you do. And yeah. if you know, for those of you who are listening, if if that's something that you're wanting to learn more about or just really wanting to learn how to keep goats, how to maintain your flock, your herd, learn how to garden, head on over to Heather's YouTube channel. We'll have that in the show notes or in the show show notes below. Um, you can click on all of her any which way that Heather wants you to get in contact with her, but we definitely will have her YouTube channel um, down in the show notes below. Go over there, show her some love, click subscribe. Um, I know there's at least about 7,000 of you that listen to the podcast every month. So head on over, show her some love. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah, we have our YouTube and I've got a very small Instagram that I have not been posting on very much, but those are our two socials that we maintain. Yeah. Awesome. Heather, this has been wonderful talking to you about raising meat goats that you're Thank hearing you. or converting it into meat goats. has been wonderful mm -hmm. having you. Thank you so much for having me. This was no, fun. No problem. You are a good resource, good source of knowledge. So if there's anything, this is absolutely the last question. And that is, if there's anything that you would say to our listeners to encourage them to start homesteading, or mm -hmm. if you're already a homesteader, how do you expand your homestead? If there's any words of wisdom or encouragement that you would like to give to our listeners, would you be happy to, to let us know? Because we would like to hear it. Yeah. I think the most valuable thing to anybody who either homesteads currently 
or wants to homestead is finding someone who can mentor you. I have a few GOAT mentors that have been my lifeline. And so having somebody to bounce those questions off of and to seek second opinions and advice on it has a ton of value, more value than you might realize. So connecting with your community, finding like-minded people, and getting somebody that can mentor you through what you want to be your next step on your homestead is, is very valuable. Wise words indeed. <laughs> well, thanks again, Heather, for having for having come on the show. We absolutely loved having this episode. Uh, thank you so much. You are most welcome. Well, that's it from all of us here on our homestead. So from all of us here from the Two Acre Homestead to wherever you are in the world, happy homesteading and be safe out there, please.